Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, the communications specialist here at Syracuse University in the Office of Alumni Engagement. I'm also a proud 2003 graduate of the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications, studying broadcast journalism. I produce alumni profiles here at Syracuse for the Office of Alumni Engagement, and I also am leading the way with our podcasting efforts, the Cuse Conversations podcast, to try to tell the stories of some of the successful alums out there that are really making a difference and who also happen to uh, to bleed orange. And today's guest, I am pleased to bring on someone who knows the world of podcasting extremely well. He knows broadcast journalism. He's made an impact working at ESPN for the last 22 years as the Senior Director of Digital Audio Programming for the Worldwide Leader in Sports. His name is Pete Genesini, a class of 1994 alumnus of Newhouse, who studied broadcast journalism. And Pete, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Good to catch up with you again. Always great to bring on a fellow uh, fellow Newhouse alum, someone who has a passion for, for storytelling and for broadcasting. And, and Pete, you heard during my introduction, we're talking about the Cuse Conversations podcast and uh, and telling stories of alumni around the world who have really made a difference. And you've been at ESPN now for what, 22 years? That's right. That's right. It, it, it doesn't seem like it, but boy, it's uh, it's flown by and, and evolved greatly. And 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 obviously, you know, ESPN and, and broadcasting has has changed dramatically uh, over the last two plus decades. I guess let's start with that. How did you get started with uh, with ESPN? What roads led you to land a job with uh, with what at the time? Now there's a little more competition, but ESPN still has been the standard bearer, you know, for for sports broadcasting. How did you get your start with ESPN? Sure. Well, the short version of it is I became really aware of ESPN at an early age because I was born in Bristol, Connecticut. So I was uh, uh, the hospital I was born in is literally just up the street. So I was aware of ESPN pretty much from day one, um, just you know, sort of being a local resident. Um, I, upon graduating Syracuse, my first job was with WHEN Radio in Syracuse. Um, the year I graduated was the year they announced that the Crunch were coming as an expansion franchise. Uh, so I worked doing the pregame intermission, postgame on the radio in Syracuse for a year um, before landing an opportunity back here at home, working in Hartford, Connecticut, producing a morning show, um, doing some sports, doing some production, sort of jack-of-all-trades like any you know entry-level radio job is. And I had a unique opportunity to... Um, I interviewed for a position at WFAN Radio in New York, and it was a very part-time spot. And the person who was in charge at the time, Eric Spitz, who interviewed me, uh, cautioned me, and he said, listen, I don't have a lot of hours for you. I can't justify you moving to New York just to work, you know, a shift here, a shift there, maybe a weekend. And I said, if, you know, if you think I'm good enough and you can use me, like, that's my problem. I'll figure that out. My grandparents lived in Brooklyn at the time, so on and so forth. And he says to me, do you do you live anywhere near ESPN? And I said, I could pretty much throw a rock at it. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, a buddy of mine's running the place up there. I'm going to get you an interview with them because they're pretty much hiring for the same thing for their production assistants. And if they hire you, great. You're right there. You don't have to move. You don't have to pay rent. You don't have to do any of that stuff. And if not, then you'll have the gig here and you can figure it out. So I got the job interview here at ESPN in the summer of 97 um, and got the gig working uh, Saturdays and Sundays on top of uh, Monday through Friday in Hartford. And at the time, ESPN Radio was just 
Saturday, Sunday night programming. I think they came on at 6 or 7 and went off the air at 1 a.m., and that was really much all they were, but they were in the midst of rolling out plans to expand to seven nights a week and what would eventually become a 24-7 radio network. So it was very much right place, right time, because as, as you're expanding that rapidly, um, they've got lots of work for you. So I was getting 60, 80 hours a week uh, and lots of great experience and then little by little, the position grew from there. One of the best parts, Pete, about having a Newhouse degree is the the connections, obviously. You know, there's the joke about the Newhouse mafia, but people really do look out for each other, take pride in hiring other Orange alums. And the strength of the network is tremendous in getting people, you know, people love to hire fellow Syracuse graduates because they know that they're going to have an outstanding work ethic. They're going to have a nose for news and for storytelling, and they're going to be pretty good at it because they've learned from some of the best uh, in the business. Um, your 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 connection with Newhouse, what made you want to come to Syracuse University? You're a kid growing up you know, Bristol, Connecticut. How did you end up settling on Syracuse as uh, the place you wanted to uh, to hone this craft? Sure, this was this was an easy one. There were there were two things that happened at the same time that came together. One, uh, despite my location, I was already a huge fan of Syracuse basketball. Uh, when I was in high school, it was Derek Coleman, Sherman Douglas. Uh, I remember watching on TV the game against Georgetown when John Thompson got thrown out, and just loved the style of play, the up tempo, the the alley oop dunks, sort of everything that came with it. Right, so I was a fan in terms of athletics and and watching basketball. Then I played sports in high school poorly, like spent a lot of time on the bench, and and uh, <laughs> I played. So I played basketball, ran track, did, did did a number of different things a little bit. I did not play soccer, but all my buddies were playing soccer. So uh, my junior year, I was the team sort of manager, scorekeeper, what have you. One of my jobs after the game was to call the local media with the score, a couple headlines. You know, they'd put it in the paper, so on and so forth. At the time, Bristol, Connecticut actually had its own AM radio station, WBIS, and they were one of the people that I called. And the person working there says, I'll tell you what, why don't you write up a little bit of a recap and we'll do this live on the radio. And I'm like, you're kidding me. Like two things. One, what kind of radio station is this? And two, oh my God, I'm going to be on the radio. Um, and so called my mom, you know, walked her through how to put a cassette in the radio and told her what time to hit record and play and all of this. And from the main office at school, I called into this radio station. And next thing you know, I'm given a, a, a report on you know, local high school sports. And that turned into kind of a semi-regular gig. And here I am a junior in high school. So I go to my guidance counselor's office and I'm like, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to do sports on the radio. You know, what are, what are some places I should be looking for? And she says, well, I'm going to make this really easy for you. You're wearing it because I had a Syracuse basketball sweatshirt on. This uh, weird U of orange, colors were off. So like, back then in Connecticut, it's like they didn't have like fanatics and stuff. You could buy stuff left and right. But, but anyway, it sort of worked. And I got home and I said, Dad, guess what? <laughs> And uh, so we get the campus tour, and we come up to school. At the time, there was a McDonald's in South Krause. The first thing we did, we parked, and that's the first place we went. My dad and I walk into McDonald's, and I get in line behind Billy Owens and LaRon Ellis, and we're done here. And, and that, was, <laughs> that was all I needed to know. And, uh, you know, was fortunate enough to be accepted. I remember the day that I was um, in applying to four different schools. And uh, for a lot of people, and I understand after 
find their way and decide what they want to do and and figure out what they want to be. Like junior year of high school, I was pretty much set on what I wanted to do. It's remarkable, Pete. And it's one of those things where, you know, when you find that passion, you know, you pursue it wholeheartedly. And obviously, you know, with with the fact that you can land uh, an on-air opportunity as a junior in high school just shows the the promise and potential that you flash. And of course, you know, you come to Syracuse, you come to Newhouse, and there's again, outstanding faculty who have done this, you know, for decades, and they really instill a lot of values in their in their students. And there's a reason why Newhouse keeps being a top, you know, the rankings, because they produce quality broadcasters year in and year out. But I want before I go into the lessons from the physical broadcasting side of it, for sure. you know, it, it can't just be the golden pipes, you know, that carry the day for a broadcaster, you have to learn how to work hard to chase down a story and to do what it takes to bring the news uh, of the day, you know, to your audience. And that comes from a strong work ethic. Uh, we had talked off the air a little bit um, about how Syracuse really helped you gain a work ethic. Can you go into a little more detail about how you, you learned how to work hard and become someone with a solid work ethic thanks to your time at Syracuse? Yeah, I've, I've said this line to a lot of people before when I tell the story and particularly you know, students just out of high school or, or, or even, you know, while at Syracuse or, or other places, I was raised wonderfully by loving parents and a great family a community um, here in central Connecticut. But I grew up in Syracuse. And that's that's what I always tell people, you know, I got there freshman year. And all the things that, you know, my dad wanted me to do as an honors program, so on and so forth. And, and sort of everything was kind of lined up, except I get there and I'm like, wait, they don't take attendance? You're kidding. And and suddenly, you know, sort of having to grow up a little bit and, hey, I can I do this? Can I go out here? Can I, can I, you know, not that it was like super party scene all the time, but just not really having the nose to the grindstone to figure it out. But then you get your grades and that's a really quick wake up call, right? So after, uh, let's just say an animated conversation with my parents, first allowing me to return and fortunately you know not falling to the level where I was no longer welcome uh really got my act together to start my sophomore year um and and things were going in the right direction uh grades wise schedule wise sort of everything that came with it and I started writing at WAER um went to a meeting there and some of my friends were already there so on and so forth and you picked up really quick um, what level of work ethic you have to be at, not just to compete, but to stay afloat. And the dynamic there, and I know it's this way many other places, JPZ and, and what at the time was UUTV, um, that yes, it was competitive, but it was also supportive. So you, so your your friends would reach down and pull you up if you were lagging behind. They'd push you forward if 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 you needed it. Uh, you would do the same for them in return. But at the end of the day, let's be honest, it's competitive. He, you want to get cleared for a game. He wants to get cleared for a game. She wants to get cleared for a game. Uh, wants to get that job when you graduate, and that sort of collaborative yet competitive dynamic um, really set the table for candidly how life works, right? Oh, absolutely. You need to learn how to, you know, no person is an island operating by themselves. And even if you're out there, if you're doing a live broadcast of a game, there's people that are back in studio making sure that your audio quality gets off the air and that the interviews, you know, sound good when you conduct them. It's not just, you know, no one does this, you know, by themselves. And it's great to hear that the collaboration, you know, was really instilled upon you, Pete, here at Newhouse, where 
you're right. There is a competitive reputation, but it's not like people are not willing to help each other out because again, those professors instill in you that you need to learn to work together and to work as a team. And you're not, you know, you're not going to get anywhere in this business if you're just doing things rogue by yourself and not getting the support of your, you know, your fellow teammates out there. So to hear that you learned how to become a, a team member is awesome here at Newhouse. What other lessons about broadcasting, about journalism, what else did Syracuse teach you that you might still use to this day with your career? Yeah, I think it was so much um, and, and you know, the actual physical skills to do it. So I'm a little bit of a dinosaur in that it was editing tape. And when I say editing tape, you had a razor blade, you had a white grease pencil where you would leave the mark on the tape to make the cut you know, pe- people listening to this will have no idea what that is, but that was incredibly <laughs> challenging to do and do well. And you really didn't get, you know, there's no undo button. So you, you know, you cut that piece of tape the wrong way, you may or may not be able to put it back and fix it. So, so it was a lot of, you know, live without a net um, in those things. And it was funny because uh, in my stop in local radio, the the transition to digital editing had just begun. Um, so I had moved off of sort of reel-to-reel editing and going to digital for a good year and change. And when I got the gig at ESPN, and again, as I said earlier, it was sort of just getting started, they were actually reel-to-reel still here in terms of their radio group. And thank goodness I had those skills from school because I had to, I had to fall back on it you know, really quickly at that point. You mentioned uh, your love affair of, of sports, and we're here talking with Pete Genesini from ESPN. He has been working at the Worldwide Leader in Sports for 22 years as the Senior Director of Digital Audio Programming. Uh, he oversees the Dan Levitard podcast, amongst other offerings, and we will get to his roles with ESPN. But Pete, I want to go back to sports in Syracuse. And you mentioned growing up in Bristol, Connecticut, being a huge Syracuse sports fan. You come to campus and LaRon Ellis and Billy Owens are in front of you in line at the McDonald's at Krause. And that's got to be a sign to you that, you know, you made the right decision. You're at the right place for your schooling. Um, just how special of a bond do you feel with Syracuse Orange Athletics? And are there any favorite moments um, um, from Syracuse Athletics from your time on campus? You know, what's funny is, is as much as I went there um, as a huge fan of basketball, um, football was really what drove things. And I mean, and it ties to like exactly where we are today with the wonderful season we had last year and what, what we have in front of us this year. And I'll tell you why. The small high school that I went to was too small to have football. Um, and of course, at the time, you know, there wasn't Division One football in Connecticut. Uh, the, the closest you had was sort of the Patriots to the north, and you had, you know, the Giants and the Jets, obviously, to the south. So here I am, huge sports fan, get to Syracuse. I had never attended a football game on any level in my life until my freshman year at Syracuse. I had never been to a high school football game, a pro football game uh, of any kind. And so here I go into the Carrier Dome. It was Coach Max last season. And, you know, Pitt's coming in, and, you're, and you've got, you know, it was the last year before the, the start of the Big East Conference. And you're like, oh, my, this is awesome. 
and then Coach Mack leaves for the Patriots gig. Syracuse joins the Big East. Paul Pasqualoni comes in, and Florida comes to the Carrier Dome, number three team in the country, and you know the place is packed, so on and so forth. And never forget it, Kirby Dardar bringing back the opening kickoff for a touchdown. Florida's three and out. Syracuse scores another touchdown, and we're off to the races. And what's unbelievable, so that was 1992, the University of Florida has never come north since, nor have they played a non-conference road game outside of the state of Florida since. Like, that was a whooping that taught them a lesson for more than 25 years. Um, <laughs> and, and, that, and as I see the buildup around Clemson coming up in the fall, I've got my hotel room, I've got my tickets, I'm, I'm, I'm so jacked for that, for that whole weekend. And I'm telling a lot of the younger alums, for as great as last year was, wait till you see the vibe around a game like that. I was fortunate enough. I had that Florida game. I had number one Miami come in, and, and God bless Chris Gedney, you know, catches the ball on the two. We run out of time. Like, we almost beat them. Like, to, to have that environment around the football program, um, and then when I was a recent alum, you know, the McNabb years, so on and so forth, that gearing up on the weekend for a big football game, which, which we all missed for, for too long of a period of time in the past, and that's all I'll say about that. Um, but for where we are now, I, I watched the other night the, the reveal of the jerseys, which are beautiful. And, and so basketball has been wonderful. The, the national title, a group of us who work here at ESPN, we drove up for the celebration in the Dome, uh, left here at 2.30 in the afternoon, got there just in time, watched the thing, turned around and drove back home. You know, but we wanted to be part of it. And, and then it wasn't too long after that you'd walk up and down the parking lot here at ESPN, and it seemed like every fifth car either had the license plate frame with national champions or the bumper stickers or the auto on top of the you know, antenna or whatever it was. Um, that, that there's, there's a lot of us here and, uh, it, it becomes, uh, evident during times like that. It's great, Pete, to hear the stroll down memory lane when it comes to Syracuse sports. And, uh, you know, Dino Babers has done a great job in getting the football program, making great strides to get back to where, you know, this program really does need to be. Uh, I actually was at a Rochester alumni club event where they had four living members of the 1959 national championship team that were addressing wow. the crowd. They were talking about, my gosh, I mean, the stories of Ben Schwartzwelder and the, the double sessions and how hard they were pushed to really represent Syracuse. And you know, Ernie Davis, obviously, is a name that everybody, you know, talk about someone taking way too early. He was such a tremendous impact on the football program. And, you know, they had multiple running backs besides Ernie. But, you know, being in the, the presence of living legends like that, really makes you appreciate you know both the past of Syracuse football and where things are going and I think that there's so much hype and there's so much excitement over this uh, with regards of the where the football program is moving you know forward it was great to win the Camping World Bowl but you know I saw projections the other day that they're saying that Syracuse football with the players they're bringing back if they do what they're going to do one of the prognosticators had them going to the Orange Bowl and playing Michigan uh, this upcoming year I know that's getting way ahead of ourselves but I think Pete that's got to make you happy as someone who got to see you know the teams who were ranked as high as I think the 92 team was ranked in the top 10 uh, at the end of the year uh, with a 10 and 2 record and you saw some great you saw the dome Pete when it was the loud house for football and for that I have to say I'm a little bit jealous that you got a chance to watch some of the peak of Syracuse football back in the day well, make sure you come in September because you'll get you'll get your share of that as well. 
I'm sure. You know what? Just being in that conversation, and and it's funny because not just because I work where I work and I do what I do, but you know. I have access to the same tools anybody in the public does. You know, you go on ESPN.com and you see, you know, football power index, and there's there's people at other places who do similar things and write similar columns, and and you see that. Oh, you know, last season going in, I'm like, you know what? I'm looking at this and the football power index, eight of the games it looks like we can win, and I was like, eight and four, that you know, that could be amazing, and so on and so forth. And little did I know, you know, it would it would. You know, you can't account for that human element. You can't account for, and we've all seen the viral videos, what goes on in the locker room, um, how the community has reached out. You know, I'll be a honk here for my former boss, you know, John Wildhack, who I think has come in and done an amazing job. Um, and I remember talking with, you know, Mike Tarico when he was working here at ESPN, and he's been a wonderful uh, friend and colleague over, over the years, going back to when I was in school. And I can't remember which transition it was, whether it was a coaching opening or whatever. And he says to me, he goes, the first thing you have to do is be in the conversation to be the best football team in the East, which people going way back will remember that's what it was all about, right? Who was the top team in the Northeast, the Lambert Trophy, everything that came with it. And, and you know, we can say that we've gotten there right it's us it's penn state in terms of in terms of you know you think of the top schools in the northeast and then after that man the sky's the limit and 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 for what they've created to take advantage of the building that they have the field that they play on and and to build an offense and a strategy around that man let's go and and now I will say this, I'm a big summer guy, so I will not sit here and say, God, I can't wait. I wish it was September now because I love sitting on the beach and just chilling out and, and having my summer. So I'm going to enjoy my summer, and then I'm going to enjoy my fall. And uh, I think it's going to be great. And you mentioned the, the big Clemson game. A, a shameless plug here that Orange Central Homecoming and Reunion Weekend is September 12th to the 15th. Highlighted, of course, there's 75 great programs taking place on campus, including milestone reunions, special interest and affinity reunions like WAER. Uh, we have all sorts of great, if you studied abroad, there's a reunion category for you if you were part of Syracuse Ambulance. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's so many great programs. And oh, by the way, September 14th, the defending national champions from Clemson come to the Dome to face Syracuse. It'll be the home opener for the Orange. That place is going to be rocking. And uh, Pete mentioned he's got his tickets secured if you want to make sure to get your football tickets, we do have alumni tickets by going to orangecentral.syr.edu. You can be like Pete and be in the Dome for that game on the 14th. It's going to be electric inside the, the Dome there for that game versus Clemson. Now, Pete, you mentioned ESPN. I want to go back to your work with ESPN and especially your podcast experiences. You know, you've been involved in some pretty high-ranking and nationally successful podcasts, including being the original producer of Mike and Mike and uh, Dan Lebetard. And now there's the Stu Gotts podcast, who is <laughs> off as well, uh, Stupidity, which I think is a great a great name for a podcast out there. And, uh, you know, Stu Gotts is kind of a polarizing character when it comes to the world of podcasting. And Dan Lebetard, too, has definitely somebody who is not afraid to ruffle some feathers and give some opinions that might be popular and some that might be a little bit controversial. How have you seen the growth of podcasting at ESPN? 
Sure. So I was fortunate. My, my first 17 years here, I was uh, actively involved with ESPN Radio, the over-the-air radio network. Uh, for a time, I was I was producer of Mike and Mike when we created that show and launched it and worked with Dan Patrick, Colin Cowherd, Mike Tarico, Scott Van Pelt, and, and helped, de- you know, not necessarily develop personalities because all those guys I told you have them. They didn't need me to help build them, um, but to refine them and to direct them and, and to do it in a way that was most effective in a traditional uh, ratings-based, get-the-quarter-hour radio environment. Um, then after, after those first 17 years, I was asked to move over into our digital business, which is a little bit of the opposite, and it's more specific and it's more refined. Um, the listening experience is almost always one individual by himself, by herself. You're in the car, you're on the treadmill, um, and it's a, in a much more intimate environment. And you could be much more specific and much much more targeted um, in your conversations. And you know, it, it comes down to you know today if you're doing a radio show, you you need to be talking about what's in the news that day. So what's in the news, right? NBA free agency is coming. You know, Yankees are hitting home runs left and right. Um, you know, and whatever's on the sports calendar on a given day. In a podcast, it's a little bit more about what is interesting to you, what is interesting within your genre. We have a football show. We have a hockey show. We have a fantasy football show. We have a college football show. We have a draft specific show. Um, so in terms of fracturing sort of the sports avidity, right? At this point, not everybody is a fan of every sport all the time. Um, and so you're able to sort of zoom in. We did a hockey podcast over the weekend. I don't know how much time, you know, Golik and Wingo this morning is spending on last week's NHL draft, but they don't have to because we have that in the podcast space. And then the other part is for the personalities to tell, to tell stories, to go outside the box. Uh, Stupidity is a great example of that. I don't know that anything he's doing in that podcast works in a ratings-based quarter hour. Someone jumps in their car and turns that on, and they immediately get it and play along. But if you're a fan of the Dan Lebitard radio show, these satellite podcasts that the Lebitard and Friends Network has created you know, align really nicely with the show um, without having to necessarily compete with it. What was it like, Pete, going back to, you know, being the original producer of Mike and Mike? And those were two guys who were, you know, sports role models. The fact that you could bring together two polar opposites. You get the burly Mike Golick, the guy who is a man's man, who played in the NFL, who when he tells you about what it's like in the locker room, you feel like, you know, you were there and you can smell the stench after a game. And you feel like you were in the trenches with the big guy. And then you get Mike Greenberg, who, you know, his sports accomplishments were playing tennis and he seemed to be much more of the the polar opposite type of character compared to Golik. It seems like that show worked because it was two opposite people having conversations, calling each other out on opinions that they didn't believe in, but it worked because the audience ate it up and it was an awesome format. And I think that that really seems like to me that you can go to Mike Francesa and Chris Russo, Mike and the Mad Dog as being original, you know, sports voices as well, where it's two people having conversations. But Mike and Mike, I think, brought it even more mainstream, brought it into people's houses that maybe wouldn't have listened to sports talk in the first place. Do you think that um, how cool was it to be a part of that show that really, you know, in, in some opinions, seemed to launch a lot of this sports talk revolution? So I think there's a couple things there. Uh, you know, what, what was uh, it starts with 
it was built around those guys' authentic personalities and what is important to them, what wasn't important to them. And what I mean when I say wasn't important to them, that they don't necessarily need to take seriously. You know, many people have said before me, and I won't know who the original person who came up with this quote is, but you know, sports is supposed to be the toy department. It, it's, it's, you know, God knows with all the things going on in the world that we have to, that we have to deal with. You know, sports is sort of the point where you can escape from that, and you can get away from that, and it can't always be like intense and arguing with each other. Sometimes it's just fun, right? So sometimes wow that dunk or wow that home run or or you know the the you know jabbing that you have with rivals who root for another team. I mean that that that's the fun of it, right? So in the very early days of the show, when I started, it was on four radio stations. There was no TV. There was no satellite radio. Like a, I can tell you, it was Chicago, Hartford, Norfolk, and Pittsburgh were the four places you could get the show. So there wasn't a lot of pressure in terms of, you know, we could try stuff, and if we screw it up, like it, it wasn't going to resonate and be in a, you know, be a Twitter thread on freezing cold takes the next day. Like no, none of that stuff existed. So we could try things and create. And you know, I remember Mike Golick very early on. You know. Everything was uh, he was very comfortable making fun of himself, right? We'd Greeny would say a, a three-syllable word, and Golik would pretend like he didn't know what it meant, and we'd sort of have fun with that, unless it was football. And and so this is the part where you know the journalism 101 that comes from of all places, you know what we were doing in the mornings, you know with Mike and Mike was. Mike never compromised that he was an expert in football. He was the captain at Notre Dame, played nine years in the NFL, lined up alongside Reggie White, was teammates with Dan Marino. That that you know his football knowledge, you know, was is it was and is as strong as anybody out there, regardless of you know rings, titles, what have you. And we never compromised on that. Everything else was sort of up for grabs in terms of you know fodder for comedy or humor. Um, and and that all made sense. And little by little, I think people gravitated to that. Like, these guys aren't trying to be something. They're just doing what they do. They're observing things the way we did and and really built a, a, a nice following uh, in the early years. Uh, I'll take this a, a little bit of a right turn in that. You know, talk about not taking sports too seriously. I remember preparing for a morning show where we were expecting Michael Jordan to come back to the NBA. Remember, he was owning the Wizards, and was he going to come back and play? And 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 for us, like that's the biggest possible story you could ever do. And I was producing the show, and we're on the air, and we're turning along, and they flew a plane into the World Trade Center. And suddenly, you remember that you have a journalism degree, and we've got to we've got to figure this out. And, and all the stuff that I thought was kind of in my rear view mirror, as we were talking about basketball and baseball and what team was unveiling new uniforms or, or whatever that we took as the most serious thing you could ever do. And, you know, obviously the, the imposition on us is negligible compared to the grand scheme of what was going on in the world at the time. But we didn't try to act like we knew what was going on or why this was happening or what it meant going forward. Like they were, I remember Mike Golick going on the air saying, I'm just a dad trying to figure out what to tell my kids. And, you know, Greeny said this on the last show they did a couple of years ago when, when we wrapped the show up, you know, the response and the engagement and the emails and the conversations we had with people around something like that. And it's hard to remember now that, you know, when the dust had settled a little bit, how that sort of brought people together when things like that happened back then. Um, in our little corner of the world in sports, 
um, allowed us to sort of redefine, at least at the time, the role that sports was supposed to play in people's lives. Um, since then, it's gone sideways a little bit, and and you know I think it's recentering a little bit now. But but as I look back on that time in that era, like what what the world was like during that duration of time, 2000, 2001, 2002. Um, you know, it's certainly not about a radio show at that point, but you asked me about my memories. I sort of recenter on sort of what life was like during that time frame that, that sometimes we forget too easily. Pete, that's a great anecdote. It's a great story to keep things uh, in mind that sports is just a, yeah, it's a distraction. It's a fun hobby to pour yourself into, but it's not, you know, not life and death. And those moments when sports and the real, I remember, you know, I was a, junior here at Syracuse when 9-11 happened and, you know, nobody, there was such a sense of uncertainty. I mean, our Newhouse classes were like a Petri dish where you would gather and talk about what we know. Uh, You actually were almost felt like you were trying to piece together just what was happening and the impact of it. And the professors, yeah, they took time if you needed to go back and be with your family or just to grieve or mourn, you could do that. But it was also really a chance to use it as a learning experience for, okay, there's this great turmoil that's happening here you know what do we know what can our skills as being student journalists tell us about how to proceed with the news during a very sensitive you know time where the world was on edge and again it gave you that perspective too of okay whatever we're doing here with sports especially it's not life or death it's just a fun hobby but people are passionate about their sports and they are passionate about their podcasting too and i know that espn's podcasts have grown exponentially i believe the figure i saw was a 43% growth in total downloads of its podcasts year to year, which, you know, this medium has really been exploding the podcasting industry. And it begs the question, what do you think is next for the world of sports talk and sports radio? Where are things going to be going over the next five or 10 years if you put on your, uh, you know, you looked into your crystal ball? <laughs> I, I think it's, you know, tied it along with as technology evolves, you know, even, and I'll start with what's going on here at our company, you know, you could watch ESPN on television, you could watch it on your phone, um, ESPN Plus, which offers up more content offerings, um, and in, even in the audio space, uh, I, have a, I have a young child, and I know a lot of the stuff that goes on in my house in the morning is with smart speakers, whether it's, you know, Amazon Alexa, whether it's Google Home, um, you know, to, to provide more short form content in that way. Um, I know that on an afternoon on the weekend, if I'm, if I'm out doing some work in the yard or sitting on the deck, you know, I just yell, hey, Alexa, play the New York Yankees, and the game comes up. I don't know what channel it's on. I don't know the number. I don't know, you know, frequency. I just know, I just yell at this thing, play the Yankees, and the Yankee game comes on. And, and so I think that continues to evolve. I know sitting in my car with the TuneIn app, listening to the Syracuse Pitt football game last year, like that's a game I otherwise wouldn't have had any way to follow. I'm on the go running errands. I'm sitting in the car. It's pouring. And, and, but I knew, you know, it was approximately the time where the game was coming down the home stretch. And um, I could just pull it up on my phone and sort of go. And it's how I want it, when I want it, where I want it. And I, and I think that's really the short version of where everything continues to go. I, I don't know that it's something that's 
in the future. I think it's already here. I just think it'll get better and more robust as the technology catches up, right? More Wi-Fi, more places, uh, stronger cell signals. Uh, everybody knows that dead spot in their commute where things cut out. Like as that, as that gets figured out, I think it's going to open up far more content offerings for people. My guest today is Pete Genesini, who has worked at ESPN uh, for more than 20 years. He does great work with their audio programming, their podcasting. Uh, you heard him earlier talk about being a producer involved with the launch of Mike and Mike back in 2000. Um, Pete has a great story to tell. We hope you've enjoyed listening to his advice so far and reminiscing uh, down memory lane about his experiences here at Syracuse and in the world of journalism. And Pete, obviously, Newhouse still has a great reputation. People still want to come to school here to study the craft, to become journalists. And I feel like one of the benefits of our network is people love to share advice, share their best practices. If you were addressing students who wanted to get into this industry, um, maybe someone's been accepted to Newhouse, but they're having some questions about how they actually go about breaking into the field, what advice would you give to aspiring journalists? Yeah, I think I think there's a couple different things. I mean, I mean, there's many different things, but two that I particularly zoom in on based on my experience, both when I was a student and sort of in my career since then, is number one, the need for feedback. And I've oftentimes had a you know, soon to be graduate, recent graduate, they send me along their tape. I say tape, it's a, it's a link, right? And, and, and you, you click it. It's not, it's not that, all that complicated. Um, and I, and I try to listen as much as I can. And I tell people, if you just want to be told it's great, give your reel to your aunt. She's going to love it. She's going to think it's the greatest thing she ever heard. She's going to tell you how wonderful it is, you know, so on and so forth. And you're going to feel good about yourself, but I don't know how much better you're going to get. And, and what I loved about my time, like when I was WAER, the, our worst critics were each other. Like, hey, that phone line really wasn't that good, or, or that, that question was really long-winded, or you could have edited that a little bit more tightly, or it was, or it was just too long. And, and understanding that when you get feedback like that, it is intended to make you better. And I had tons of people who did that for me as I was aspiring to be on the air. Um, and I try to do the same now and give people sort of one specific thing. Hey, I think it was one question too many. Or, you know, the, the, the music choice that you picked for that piece, it was really loud and it was hard to hear what you were saying. You might want to rethink that. Like, if there's one takeaway, and then it's obviously be willing to receive the feedback. We don't need an excuse. We don't need to know that you were rushed. We didn't, we don't need to know that you, you had to get it done before you go to class. Like, you're not accountable to me for that. It's just, hey, here's something to keep in mind um for the next time and oh by the way if this runs counter to what your boss is telling you do what your boss is telling you because they're the ones writing you the paycheck i'm just one person's opinion and so i say to people you know get feedback from multiple people i'm not always right i don't know everything god knows i've i've tried things on the air that haven't come out the way i, I wanted to do it um so the more people you can hear from that can give you reliable, actionable feedback that you could take into account to make you better at any stage of your career is the most important thing. And then the last thing I'll say, just because it's a, it's a passion point for me, I went to Syracuse and Newhouse because it's in my high school yearbook, good luck being the next Marv Albert, good luck being the next Bob Costas, good luck being, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. I was broadcast partners with Dave Pash at Syracuse, who's gone on to be, you know, one of the premier play-by-play -play announcers in the country in a variety of sports. 
Um, and that wasn't my path. I did crunch games in Syracuse for a year. I was a backup announcer for the hockey team in Binghamton a little bit. I worked in Hartford for a couple of years. And then the opportunity that availed itself at ESPN was, as we say in radio, the other side of the glass. And when that opportunity came up, I had to really think about how important was it for me to be the name on the radio, the voice to people here. Was I that good? Was I great? Was I good? Was it? And, and I wound up uh, with a producing career, getting to do amazing things, Super Bowls and World Series and, and working at ESPN and, and everything that comes with you know, worldwide leader in sports, all of that. It's been a wonderful blessing of a career that has provided for my family, has allowed me to meet amazing people, be on the field to see the Yankees win the World Series, which the, which young me just thinks is, you know, pinnacle of life that that would have happened. Um, and for those who are interested in a career, you know, feature journalism, um, documentary production, sports talk radio, um, yeah, it, it may not get the headline in the paper and, and, and leading, you know, things like alumni newsletters, so on and so forth. It is an amazing career to help other people find their voice. You know, I remember one time, you know, saying a line in a talent's ear and then they credit me on the air as they're giving it. I'm like, no, you're the talent. If you think it's funny, use it. If you think it's lousy, don't use it. Um, being in that position where some of the biggest names in sports trusted me with either a fact, an idea, a guest booking, a topic suggestion, where they're the ones who are going to be held accountable if it falls flat, is is really a wonderful responsibility and a wonderful blessing. And and so for those who maybe don't have, I think you said earlier, the golden pipes or um, the 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 skill set to be the most telegenic person in the and be the next Marv Albert or Bob Costas. The world has opened up so many other options in, in sports broadcasting and in journalism in general um, that are incredibly empowering and fulfilling. And I, and I challenge anyone to say that a job like that is less than. Um, and I talk with a lot of kids, and I say kids, you know, even recent graduates who are at that fork in the road trying to decide which path to take. And those are the conversations I enjoy the most because most, I've lived it, I've done it. And I've been incredibly uh, lucky and grateful to have to have been along for that ride. Well, Pete, we are incredibly grateful and fortunate that you took the time to share your story and share some words of wisdom here on the Cuse Conversations podcast. Uh, your career is far from over with. There's a lot more great memories and accomplishments you're going to have. You know, whether it's with ESPN and wherever your future takes you, we wish you nothing but the best. And thanks for coming on today. Thanks, John. Look forward to seeing you this fall. Yeah, definitely. Come back to Orange Central. We know you'll be there for homecoming. We encourage all of our alumni to come back and to get their tickets again for the football game and all the other 75-plus great programs at orangecentral.syr.edu. This Cuse Conversations podcast is available everywhere you go to get your podcasts. We You can find us by going to alumni syr.edu slash Cuse Conversations. You can also find us on anchor.fm slash Cuse Conversations and also on Spotify, on Google Play, on iTunes, and everywhere else you go to find your podcasts. My name is John Boccasino. Thank you so much for taking the time to stop by the Cuse Conversations podcast. <laughs>